Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kington Knight. The focus of this episode is Shamik Dasgupta's Realism and the Absence of Value published in the Philosophical Review in 2018. Here are some true things about the world. Emeralds are green, gremeralds are grew, where to be a gremerald is to be either observed before the year 2099 and an emerald, or not observed before 2099 and a sapphire. And to be grew is to be either observed before 2099 and green, or not observed before 2099 and blue. But to say that Gremeralds agree seems, well, silly. Only a philosopher would insist on pointing out such a frivolous truth. On the other hand, it seems perfectly natural, normal and sensible to say that Emeralds are green. If someone insisted on theorising in terms of grew rather than green, we would say that they are doing something wrong in their attempt to describe the world. Grew, unlike green, just isn't the sort of property that we ought to theorise in terms of. Call the properties that we ought to theorise in terms of the elite properties. What makes a property elite? Realists say that there is an objective difference between the elite and the non-elite properties. According to realists, green has a kind of objective metaphysical glow that grew lacks, and in virtue of which it counts as elite. We might call this objective property of the elite properties naturalness. Anti-realists, on the other hand, deny that there is any objective difference between the elite and the non-elite. Rather, the eliteness of green and non-eliteness of grew is explained in terms of contingent facts about us, facts concerning our language, interests, culture, physiology, and so on. So there are two strands to realism. One says that there's an objective property of properties, call it naturalness, that green has and grew lacks. The other strand says that this objective feature of properties, naturalness, explains why we ought to theorise in terms of some properties, but not others. The fact that green but not grew is natural is supposed to explain why someone goes wrong when they say that gremeralds are grew. In this paper, Dasgupta argues that even if we grant the realist that there is some objective feature of the world, naturalness, that some properties have and others lack, there is no explanation as to why we should theorise in terms of natural properties as opposed to the unnatural ones. This inability to explain why we should theorise in terms of natural properties is an instance of what Dasgupta calls the problem of missing value. In broad terms, Dasgupta argues that metaphysical posits, such as naturalness, lack any normative upshots. Consider divine command theory, which says that good actions are those which God commands, so the goodness of an action is explained by its being commanded by God. According to this theory, It is an objective fact of the matter what the good actions are, because it's an objective fact of the matter what God commands. So divine command theory is a kind of realism about moral goodness. In the same way that we might say that elite properties are theory-guiding, because they are the properties that we ought to theorise in terms of, we can say that goodness is action-guiding. We ought to do what's good. Now, if our meta-ethical theory says that the good is just what God commands, and if goodness is supposed to be action-guiding, we can ask a further question. Why is God's command action-guiding? Why should we do what God commands? Because he commands it is not a satisfactory answer here, 
nor can we say that we should do what God commands because it's good, since it is an account of goodness that we're after. We lack an explanation as to why we should act in accordance with God's command. So, given divine command theory, we lack an explanation as to why the good is action-guiding. Dasgupta argues that the situation with divine command theory is analogous to realism about eliteness. It's all well and good saying that's an objective fact of the matter that some property is elite because the elite properties are natural, but now we can ask why we should theorise in terms of the natural properties. What is it about naturalness that is theory-guiding? According to Dasgupta, no answer is forthcoming. In short, calling certain properties natural does not yield the value-theoretic upshot that we ought to theorise in terms of the natural properties. Maybe the realist could respond that it is constitutive of the nature of belief that for a mental state to count as a belief, it must aim at natural propositions. And since this aim is met only by mental states couched in terms of natural properties, theorising in terms of natural properties is better. Hence we ought to theorise in terms of natural properties after all. This is supposed to be analogous to the claim that it's constitutive of belief that belief aims at truth. There seems to be something incoherent about the idea of forming a belief in complete disregard of the truth. But there's nothing incoherent about, in full consciousness, forming a belief that Gremeralds are Gru. Surely the belief that Gremeralds are Gru, formed in full consciousness, still counts as a belief. So it can't be the case that in order to count as a belief, a mental state must aim at natural propositions. But even granting that aiming at naturalness is constitutive of belief, Dasgupta asks what would be wrong with a community of people with shmeliefs, that is, people whose truth-orientated mental states did not aim at naturalness but at some other property, call it gratualness, where gru is a gratual property. Even if naturalness is constitutive of belief, this does not explain why we should theorise in terms of natural properties, it just induces a success condition on belief it remains to be shown why we should prefer beliefs to shmeliefs. Perhaps then, what it means for one belief to be better than another is that the former, but not the latter, is natural. In response, Dasgupta introduces the notion of gretiness. A belief is greater to the extent that it is more gratual. The question now is why we should form better beliefs over greater ones. We are just moving the bump in the rug. Finally, perhaps we could say that what we mean by natural is that for a property to be natural just is for beliefs about that property to be better than beliefs about unnatural properties. Setting circularity worries with this proposal aside, Dasgupta's concern is that it amounts to little more than just stipulating that naturalness is theory-guiding. It offers no real explanation of the fact that naturalness is theory-guiding. Contrast this with the anti-realist who does some proper philosophical work to explain why elite properties are elite in terms of facts about us theorisers, facts to do with language, culture, and so on. Dasgupta's general point is that we cannot explain why naturalness is theory-guiding with reference to the constitutive nature of things. Contrast this with pain. It's clear from the nature of pain that it's action-guiding. We ought to avoid pain because, well, it's pain. But nothing analogous can be said of naturalness. A question always remains as to why we should theorise in terms of natural properties. But note that nothing special has been said about naturalness here. Similar remarks will apply to other realist metaphysical posits, such as grounding, essence, laws of nature, and so on. We lack an explanation as to why we ought to theorise in terms of these notions, and it doesn't help to stipulate that it is just of the nature of these things that they guide our theorising. Maybe we can answer the question about why naturalness is theory-guiding with reference to other important notions. 
one might think that laws of nature are to be understood in terms of natural properties and that other important notions such as counterfactuals and causation are understood in terms of laws of nature. Hence naturalness is important because it's at the root of this family of notions. But this won't work because we can identify the notion of graws of nature, which are understood in terms of gradual properties, and counterfactuals and grausation are understood in terms of graws. Hence gradual properties are important because they are at the root of this family of notions. The question now is, why are the natural notions more important than the gradual ones? Again, Dasgupta thinks that there is no good answer to be given here. Now, strictly speaking, Dasgupta isn't arguing against realism, construed just as the claim that there exist various objective metaphysical posits, such as naturalness. His argument has just been that there are no value-theoretic upshots of these posits. But if this is correct, one may wonder why we should believe in the realist metaphysical posits in the first place. The anti-realist then claims that metaphysical posits, such as naturalness, laws, grounding, or what have you, are either a myth, or at the very least, are normatively inert. According to the anti-realist, we can still get things right insofar as our theorising goes, but getting things right is not a matter of achieving some god's eye view, or reflecting some objective metaphysical whatnot. Rather, getting things right is a matter of theorising in a way that works for us, given certain contingent physiological, cultural, and other facts about ourselves. For example, we may say that the reason why we ought to theorise in terms of green, and not grew, is because this is easier for us, given our interests and cognitive makeup. And the reason why one would go wrong by theorising in terms of grew, assuming they share our interests and cognitive makeup, is that they are making things unnecessarily complicated. This way we account for the normative upshots of elite properties, but we do so in terms of facts about us, not objective metaphysical posits, hence this is a form of anti-realism. Dasgupta concludes by considering a final way out for the realist. So just as anyone acquainted with pain will understand why pain is action-guiding, one might say that anyone acquainted with natural properties, such as greenness, will understand why greenness, but not grewness, is theory-guiding. But to count as an alternative to realism, it must be part of this view that it is an objective fact about the natural properties such as green that they are acquaintable, regardless of whether there is ever anyone around to meet their acquaintance. And maybe this seems strange. There's also a worry that this will lead to a kind of idealism, because the fundamental properties will not be those of fundamental physics, but those properties with which we are acquainted in perception. The fundamental physics properties would have to be said to be derivative from the truly fundamental, maximally elite properties revealed in perception. I think it's safe to assume that Descupta is not too impressed by this version of realism, and so he takes his argument from missing value to be in good standing. How should we approach philosophical puzzles such as the puzzle of how humans can have free will, the hard problem of consciousness, and the puzzle of why we should theorise in terms of green and not grew? Something that I think comes out nicely in this paper is the all-too-often-overlooked point that it does not address a problem to just posit a new primitive problem solver. We need something more than this. It doesn't solve the hard problem to say that consciousness is a primitive property of matter, but neither does it help to instead simply stipulate that consciousness emerges at higher levels. It doesn't solve the problem of free will to say that human agents are primitive causes, and it doesn't explain why we should theorise in terms of green and not grew to say that green is natural. Positing new primitive entities or mechanisms when faced with philosophical problems has, as Russell memorably put it, all the benefits of theft over honest toil. 
I particularly liked Dasgupta's point in the paper about the satisfying and well-earned anti-realist explanation of eliteness that, as he put it, goes through the hard work of providing an intelligible explanation in terms of the various facets of human life, of why it is better to theorise in terms of green than in terms of Gru. I think it's important to emphasise the intelligibility of the explanation here. But maybe there is a broader moral here that I'm not sure is best couched in terms of the realism-anti-realism debate. This has to do with using what we've already got to address philosophical problems and provide explanations such that those explanations have some hope of being intelligible. There are certain facts about the various facets of human life that are well understood, so why not use these well understood facts to shed light on the puzzle about eliteness? What hope is there of understanding something puzzling, in this case eliteness, in terms of something else that is unfamiliar, such as the metaphysical postulate of naturalness? It should be obvious that our best bet here is to use what is already relatively well understood to shed light on the puzzle. Something similar may be said about free will. Human language and psychology are better understood than primitive agent causation, so surely there is more hope of shedding light on the problem of free will in terms of the former notions than the latter. And perhaps the hard problem of consciousness is best addressed by investigating why we find it such a puzzle in the first place. That is, taking a more meta approach that enables us to leverage what we already have some antecedent understanding of, such as human language and psychology, to shed light on the issue. Does this result in an objectionable form of anti-realism or radical relativism? I don't think so. All that has been said is consistent with maintaining that there is a world out there that exists independently of our thoughts, language and culture. What's more, the more human-centric ways of addressing philosophical problems only satisfy to the extent that they do satisfy, ultimately because of how we and the world objectively are. What counts as a good solution to a puzzle is going to be a function of the objective relations between humans and the world. This strikes me as realism enough, and certainly preferable to positing new metaphysical whatnots all over the place. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review on iTunes so that more people can find it. You can also share your thoughts and carry on the discussion on Twitter. My handle is at Kimpton Nye. That's at K-I-M-P-T-O-N-N-Y-E.